So, uh, my name is Bill, if I haven't had an opportunity to meet you, and uh, really happy to be with you all tonight. Uh, we are taking uh, three weeks to look at three themes from the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a, a book in the Old Testament, I think most of you know that. It's a book that is devoted to helping us grow in wisdom. And wisdom uh, we could define as, as the skill to live life faithfully under God. Um, uh, Proverbs recognizes in this regard that, that all of us, all, all people really, can be located somewhere on a continuum between uh, being a wise person at one end of that continuum and at the other end of that continuum being a fool. And he uses a variety of uh, uh, words to describe those people, but we're all located somewhere between wisdom and folly or foolishness. And we're all really moving in one direction or another uh, along that continuum. But we're either growing in wisdom or we're moving deeper into folly. And the starting point for each of those and, and the direction that we're moving in this, the starting point for it is, is what is your stance toward God? Because Proverbs teaches us that there is no wisdom apart from God. And, and so the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. That is the starting point of wisdom. There's no wisdom apart from God, and that's why the psalmist, Psalm 14, will say that the fool has said in, in their heart, there is no God. And centuries later, the Apostle Paul uh, will say that, that refusing to acknowledge God or give thanks to Him, that is the, the decisive starting point of a descent into foolishness and into disintegration, professing to be wise, Paul says, in refusing to acknowledge God, professing to be wise, he says, they, really, we, became fools. And so Proverbs is urging us all to get wisdom. Get wisdom. And, you know, I, you and I perhaps need to hear this message as much as anyone, maybe, maybe more than some, <laughs> Because, and I think David said this last week, being smart is not the same as being wise. Uh, far from it. And, and I wonder, you know, what would your uh, Princeton University class look like? How would it be composed if, if the chief entrance requirement to Princeton had not been some combination of your scores and grades and extracurricular? but where you are on the continuum between being a fool and being a wise person. <laughs> I suspect that the composition, even of the people in this room, I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> So last week, David looked at what some of the Proverbs had to say about um, friendship. And before we dive into our topic this week, I. You know, I just have to ask, how have you been? Have you been a faithful friend this week? You know, it's so easy for us to come listen to these messages and Bible studies and all that and walk away without really giving thought 
to what we just heard. Tonight's message, uh, we're going to talk about our words, our speech, uh, our tongue. Uh, and this is such an important topic for us to consider. You know, because our words have so much potential, either uh, to do great good or to do just devastating harm and, and destruction. Proverbs 18.21 is, is a good starting point for that. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, those who, who love to talk, they, they will eat its fruits. Words have such great power to do harm, to injure, to tear down, to destroy, but they also have tremendous potential to do good, to bring healing, to build up, to encourage. And you know, thinking about the, the power of our words to do harm, I, I, I think I'm probably pretty safe saying that we have all, everyone in this room has been injured, uh, no doubt, by the words of others. And often the greatest injury comes from those who are closest to us. I mean, some have been injured by very harsh words from uh, parents or caregivers. Uh, the cutting words of a sibling or of a friend. Most of you know the old uh, child's retort, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, that's just not true. Words can really do damage. Proverbs 12, 18 says that the words of the reckless pierce like swords. The tongue of the wise brings healing. That was my lead pronunciation. When, when, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. You know, when Debbie and I, uh, we do pre-marriage counseling, we're in a, engaged couples, and one of the things we always urge them is that there are certain words that should just never be spoken. Uh, I hate you. I wish I had never married you. You're ugly. I wish you were dead. You know, people say this kind of thing when they're angry, they're upset, and, uh, and, and, and they may later they may apologize, oh, I didn't mean it, but, but these are sword thrusts when we use that kind of language, and, and, and that pierces, and that, that wounds, and yes, you can ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness, but it's hard to forget words that people use in that way. You remember that. And I still remember the day, some of you heard this story before, I remember that I was probably about eight years old, when uh, the mother of, of a little boy who lived about three houses down the street from us, you know, I was out in the front yard and she came out of her door and marched down the street right up to me, and she leaned in close to me and, you know, said, Bill, you are a stinker. <laughs> and I turned around and walked back home. <laughs> and, well, okay, look, I, I probably uh, deserve that uh, because I've been 
very nasty to her little boy. Um, but you know, I still I still remember that. I don't know how many years ago that was. I I can't do that arithmetic. Um, but you know, I I've had many of you have have also you you carry about in yourself wounds from things that people have said to you, wounds that even in, in, in this present moment shape in some way your sense of identity and, and as a person. And, and we all experience and, and witness the ways, right now it seems more than ever, the ways people use words as sword thrusts to, to, to injure people, to do harm. Uh, this moment that we are living in our culture, and uh, as as many good things we might we we might uh, say about the internet, the internet has not served us well in this this area. So much hateful, so much hurtful speech, so much unaccountable speech, and so Proverbs highlights uh, the, the destructive power of the tongue. And I'm just gonna spend a few minutes on, on two examples that we could look at. There's, there's many that we could look at. And the first way is, uh, Proverbs talks about gossip. Uh, Proverbs 16.28, a perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Now, uh, let's go back. Maybe I didn't make it in. Uh, I guess that one didn't make it in. Sorry. Um, a perverse <laughs> And uh, if you know anything about Hebrew poetry, the two lines, uh, generally speaking, in Hebrew poetry, the two lines sort of comment on one another. And so a gossip is, is you know, amplifies a perverse person. Uh, this is the idea of somebody who is stirring up conflict and, and gossip, Proverbs tells us, separates close friends. I mean, gossip is so destructive to relationships um, because gossip, what it, what it is really is speech working against others. And it's speech working against others who aren't, you know, in the room to hear it or to defend themselves. Uh, and in that sense, gossip shapes reality. It shapes, if, if you come and tell me something about another person, you are shaping my perception, my sense of who that person is, of their character, uh, right? And uh, Proverbs uh, understands that this is, <laughs> as, as bad as that sounds, this is something we are all drawn to. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. You know, with choice morsels, you want more. You, you, I, I like that. They go down to the inmost parts. And, you know, why do we like uh, gossip? Well, it, I think there's a lot of reasons. It, it appeals to our sense of, of being an insider, of being in the know, of being a, you know, trusted confidant. Um, it, it gives us a sense of power because knowledge is power. I know something about, you know, that person. 
and, and their mess, or at least what somebody else told me is their mess. Um, it, it's often in the Christian community, and this is a subset of the Christian community, in case you're not following me. <laughs> it's often disguised, right? It's disguised in the form of a prayer request. <laughs> oh, we really need to pray for this person because, you know, and then we go on to recite something about them. Or um, sometimes it's even an expression of concern. I'm really worried about, you know, this sister or this brother. And then we go on to recite, oh, because I see what they're doing on the street, or because I see what they're doing here or there. And, you know, so in, in the guise of let's pray for, or I'm concerned about, what are we doing? We're gossiping about other people, about brothers and sisters. And, and so at, at, its, at its heart, gossip is not aimed at the good of the other. It can be, for many of us, a way to feel better about ourselves. It can be more insidious. It can be a way. You've got an issue with a friend, with a brother or sister. You're not going to go bring that up with them. You're just going to tell all your friends about how wicked they are, how the evil thing they did to you, how mean they were to you, how selfish they were. You're going to tell others. You're not going to go try to mend that relationship. And so we use gossip as a way even to make others pay for the ways that we feel they've done us harm by damaging them in the eyes of others. This is, this is I mean, I hope you feel some of the weight of this because we do this so carelessly. You know, and Proverbs also tells us that gossip is, Proverbs 26, 20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. And within a church, within a fellowship, within any kind of community, uh, gossip can really feed a conflict. I mean, if I have a conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, that's two people. But if then you know, I'm talking about it to others, others, you know, my brother's talking about it to others, and then they're all talking about it, that conflict is now becoming a, a community problem, a family problem. And so that can escalate. So gossip is a way that we do harm with our words. Another way, this is a bit more general, is, is with unrestrained words. Um, Proverbs 18.2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight in airing their own opinions. Uh, Proverbs 18.13. To answer before listening, well, that is a folly and a shame. And, you know, it's helpful for us. To, I, oh boy, I need to be reminded. Guys, you need to understand that I am not standing up here tonight as any kind of paragon of virtue when it comes to speech self-control. And I have uh, many people who can testify to that. Uh, 
So I'm sharing this with you in, in humility and actually in deep conviction. Um, you know, interrupting others without letting them speak is just rude. And it has the effect of really devaluing that other person. It's basically saying what you have to say is not important. And, uh, and in a sense, that's saying you're not important because you don't have anything smart to say, wise to say, fun, you know, whatever it is. What I have to say is important. What you have to say is not important. And, and I mean, that is a form of prejudice, of, of judging another person without even giving them the opportunity, to, in this case, to speak their mind. Uh, in the New Testament, James tells us we need to be people who are quick to hear, slow to speak. And uh, I need to be reminded of that. Uh, another aspect of this unrestrained words is that some of us just have a problem with talking too much. And, you know, I want to be gentle here. I hope I'm not being too hard on any of this stuff because, like I said, I'm guilty of all these things. But Proverbs 10, 19, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. And, you know, we used to laugh about Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is being intelligent. And uh, some of you know, there's a famous quote that's, that's often attributed to Abraham Lincoln. It's sometimes attributed to Mark Twain, although it's doubtful that either one of them uh, actually said it. Um, but it's kind of a paraphrase of Proverbs 17:28. Better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. <laughs> um, you know, and, and some of us need to take this to heart and, and to think, am I listening before I speak? Am I thinking before I speak? Or is, is my mouth and are my words way ahead of my brain? Um, learning the discipline of listening. Listening is an act of respect. Listening is an act of love. And so we need to learn to listen. Well, those are just two ways, gossip and, and a lack of restraint, that, that words can harm each other but there, there are many, many other ways that our words can be like swords that do damage. But Proverbs is also very hopeful in terms of the ways that our words can do good. And I want to mention a few of these because our words do have such potential to be life-giving, to be healing, to be, to be comforting. Um, this is a little book by uh, an author who was quite popular in the 1980s. Um, I don't think he's as, as well known now as name is Larry Crabb. Uh, but this book uh, is called Encouragement, the Key to Caring. And I, I love this story that he tells uh, about his own youth, uh, that when he was a child, he was, he was afflicted uh, with stuttering. His speech. And for him personally, this was traumatic. This was 
embarrassing and it was humiliating for him. And he recounts a, a life-changing moment when he was asked in the context of the church meeting, I think at their church they would ask people to pray uh, before communion. And he was asked to, to pray. Uh, he was in ninth grade at the time. Um, and, and he says this. He, he says, I, I unsteadily left my chair with the intention of praying. Filled less with worship than with nervousness, I found my theology becoming confused to the point of heresy. I remember thanking the Father for hanging on the cross and praising Christ for bringing the Spirit from the grave. Stuttering throughout, I finally thought of the word, Amen. Perhaps the first evidence of the Spirit's leading. I said it and I sat down, and I recall staring at the floor, too embarrassed to look around, and solemnly vowing, never again to pray or speak aloud in front of a group. Two strikes were enough. This is the second story that he's telling. When the service was over, I darted toward the door, not wishing to encounter an elder who might feel obliged to correct my twisted theology, but I was not quick enough. <laughs> an older Christian man named Jim Dunbar intercepted me put his arm on my shoulder and cleared his throat to speak. And I remember thinking to myself, here it comes. Oh well, just endure it and get to the car. I then listened to this godly gentleman speak words that I can repeat verbatim today more than 20 years later. Larry, he said, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I'm behind you 1,000 and then he walked away. And Kraft says, even as I write these words, my eyes fill with tears. I have yet to tell that story to an audience without at least mildly choking up. Why? Because those words were life words. They had power. They reached deep into my being and my resolve never again to speak publicly weakened instantly. And Crabb went on to become uh, a significant gospel minister. Our words have such power not only to do harm, but to do good in the lives of others, in one another's lives. How can we, how can we use our words not for foolishness, but for good? Just some examples. Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety weighs down the heart. You guys know that, but a kind <laughs> word cheers you up. I mean, this is a pressure cooker. And it's a it's it's a it's a pandemic pressure cooker. And you know, there's a lot of anxiety here, but but you have the potential to be a person who uses your words to cheer other people up. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I cannot even imagine how many interpersonal conflicts. Just think of your own family. It's probably a great <laughs> How many fights? All the air would just be sucked out of that fight. If, if the person who has been 
in some sense injured, annoyed, afflicted, punched by her sister, whatever, <laughs> responded not with a harsh word, and now it's, you know, uh, mano a mano, but, but responded with a gentle answer. Proverbs 15.4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. A perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are, are sweet like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You know, brothers and sisters, I, I just, I read these and I think, may we be those people. Those people who are speaking these, these words of kindness to one another, these words of gentleness when we're provoked, these, these words that soothe people, these words that are gracious, these words that are encouraging to others. You know, most of us recognize that we have a problem with our words. And so it's not very difficult to start going through a list of problems like this and just feeling you know, like, yeah, you got me there, yeah, you got me there, you know, ding, ding, ding. Uh, we have problems with self-control, with being unkind, with gossip. But here's the thing, it is very hard to change. And if, uh, if, if we stopped here, it would be like, okay, well, thanks, Bill. I feel guilty. I, maybe I'll try harder. Maybe I won't. Um, <laughs> it's hard to change. And the reason it's so hard to change is that at the end of the day, your words are not the problem. Your words are a manifestation of your problem. And the real problem that you have and the real problem that I have is deeper and that is our hearts. I remember when I first really began to grasp what Jesus says in Matthew 12. Yeah, Matthew 12. These are both similar statements of Jesus, but he's, he's rebuking some of the religious leaders and he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? <laughs> It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. You know, when it comes to our problems with speech, we can try to be more restrained, but what we all really need is a changed heart. As James says, who can tame the tongue? And, and the answer is, is no one. We need, and God's solution to our problem is much more profound than just making us more moral, uh, because our problem is much deeper than that. Jesus, think about it. Jesus took your, my, our hateful, hurtful, uh, deceitful, slanderous words. He, he took them upon himself. Isaiah says, Isaiah 53, he, speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet, what? He opened not his mouth. He was like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. 
so he opened not his mouth. Peter picks up on this, and, and he, he says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. That we might die to sin. That we might die to the, 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 the wickedness that comes out of our hearts. And that we might live to righteousness. That, that we might bring forth good treasure out of the good that is stored up inside us by the grace of God. Because it's by his wounds that we are healed. We were straying like sheep that have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we just have to keep coming back to the gospel. The, the, the message of Christianity is not feel guilty and try harder. It, it is that Christ has taken our sin, our guilt, our shame, and, and all of all the destruction that we have uh, uh, done. He's taken that upon himself. He has taken our, our hurtful words upon himself so that our hearts might be changed, so that we might have the grace to, to, to be transformed into people who do good, uh, who show mercy, who, who, who manifest this kind of kindness and encouragement and hope with our speech by the grace of God. And so if, if you're convicted tonight, don't just resolve, I'm going to try harder. But come to the cross where Christ gave himself for you and find grace and mercy and help there. I want to close with just a few applications. That, 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 let's not lose sight of what, what I just said as we look at these. First is, is a diagnostic application. I challenge us all tonight to begin to think about our words and uh, not only what we are saying but begin to think what are your words what do your words tell you about your own heart really examine that and and then ask yourself how does my heart need to change how do i need to bring my speech to jesus and receive grace and forgiveness and help that, 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 that he might change my hard heart. The second application is in terms of thinking about, this is the Proverbs we've looked at tonight, what are some things that maybe you want to make a commitment to put away? I'm just going to tick through some things that struck me. Um, well, stop saying negative things about other people. You know, I, I don't want to be a person who is speaking evil of others. I don't think God wants me to be that person. I don't think God wants you to be that person. Let's not do that. And, and I don't want to listen when others come to me to speak evil of others. I don't want to listen to that either. And some of us need the courage when a friend comes to us to say, well, you know, have you, talk, have you talked to them about this? Maybe you should go talk to them about it. Why are you telling me this? Why don't you go talk to them? 
that's how, that's that takes courage. I know it does, but we need to to, to grow there. Number two, let's not be gossips. Let's just all work together and God help us in that area. Number three, let's not betray confidences. And this is, somebody shared some significant news with me this weekend, and I asked them whether it was public or not. And they said, well, I told a few people about it, and I asked them to keep it to themselves. But I know they won't. <laughs> and I thought, okay, right? That's, that's where we all live. Uh, let's, let's not be that way. Let's not, if somebody asks you to keep something in confidence, let's keep it in confidence. Be careful uh, with humor. I, I had a roommate at Princeton who was very earnest, he was very serious, and I'm embarrassed to say I teased him about it, uh, but he, he would, I would, you know, say something I shouldn't have said, and he'd say, Bill, that's best not said, even in chess. <laughs> and I'd laugh and say it again. <laughs> I, I am very thankful that I still have people in my life who routinely point out to me my errors of speech. And if you get to know me well, you know they are many and frequent. Um, that's not said. But we need to be careful with you. Because many of us use humor to get positive attention for ourselves. And we all too often use humor at other people's expense. Right? Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. I mean, there's a great image for you. <laughs> Is one who deceives their neighbor and then says, oh, I was only joking. Right? And... Um, we often say harmful, hurtful words, and then we're like, oh, I was just joking. Or we use sarcasm as an indirect way to make our sword thrusts. Let's, let's be careful that, that we are laughing with others and not at them. And, you know, one of the things I've had to learn is just because the person you make fun of is laughing, that does not mean they're laughing with you. So let's really be careful that we're, we're really not poking fun at one another. Those are some negatives, some positive things. Commit, fresh start. Let's commit to speaking words. Let's be people who are speaking the words of life. Who are speaking words of hope. Who are speaking words that build other people up. Paul says, don't let any unwholesome or corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Wow, that's a verse that would really transform us, right, if we took that one to heart. Ephesians 4, 29. And we just don't do this very well. And, and I, I know I don't do it very well, and I, and I wonder if the reason we have so much trouble building others up is, is, is it because we're so insecure that we're always comparing ourselves with others? Is that why we have so much difficulty finding the words to praise another person, to affirm another person, to encourage another person, even just to say thank you? Let's go back to the cross. Our security is not in 
in comparing ourselves with others, our security is in God saying, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. I, you don't need to worry about comparing yourself with other people. Affirming other people doesn't have to threaten our security, but it can give us the joy of, of encouraging one another, encouraging other people. Uh, next, commit, uh, let's commit ourselves to, to words that make peace. Blessed Jesus says, but the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. <laughs> commit ourselves to words, finally, that bring life. Mm. People need hope. People in, in this community, on this campus, need hope. People are in despair. People are discouraged. And we, of all people, ought to be and have the opportunity to be a people of hope. You know, we're about to, uh, after we finish our time of worship, have a Christmas party, you know, because we're celebrating the good news of Christmas. And, and it reminds me, as I think about the opportunity that we have with our words, I, I was reminded of the words uh, from Luke chapter 2, birth narrative of Christ, when the shepherds are in the fields, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you the good news of great joy It will be for all the people. What is it? For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Each one of you is, is a messenger is a herald of that good news, a good news of great joy, of, of great joy which is for all people, that there is a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's use our words not to, to harm others, but to do good, to bring hope, to bring life. Amen. Father God, thank you um, for this word that uh, really pierces me uh, very deeply in my own heart uh, because of my own carelessness with my speech. But I pray that we would use it in our lives individually and as a community to bring us back to the gospel, to the cross, to our Savior, for hope, for healing, for forgiveness but also for the grace to change the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about other people, the way we treat other people, the way we speak, what we speak about. Help God fill us with joy and peace in the hope that we have in Christ and that we be eager to tell others.